0: let me welcome you to this second installment of Living Legends. And I'm so excited about today's guest, another one of our very own members, Francine Belson. Now you have an absolutely amazing story as a scientist uh, turned engineer, physicist. But before we jump to all of that, even your educational background is pretty amazing. So how did you get started into science?
1: First pastor, thank you for having me. I give career talks all over the country, over a hundred in this area alone. I usually entitle them achievements against the odds. Mm -hmm. I start out telling the students about my origins. I was born in Washington DC in the forties. When I started school, (laughs) it was before Brown versus Board of Education, 1954, desegregation. We were separate and unequal. It was before the 23rd Amendment, 1961, DC suffrage. That means our parents couldn't vote. And for that reason, DC didn't have home rule. So our parents had no control over their children's education. We had to use whatever leftover raggedy educational materials the white schools were finished with. And I started school before Title IX, 1972. Male-female discrimination in the schools. I couldn't take shop, mechanical drawing, subjects like that that would be useful for a kid like me interested in science, but going to an all black high school, there was big advantage. We had a strong love for one another and we knew our black history. Hmm. I decided to be a scientist in the seventh grade. Hmm. My motivation, I was fascinated to discover God's world atoms, molecules, atomic energy. My role models were Marie Curie and Albert Einstein. So I signed up for every special class and program opportunity I could.
0: One of the things that you said, and it was absolutely amazing, is that you you were amazingly interested in science despite all the odds against you. What do you think allowed you to stay so interested in science despite not having all the
1: right books or information? Besides the fact that I just liked it, Mm -hmm. uh, there were many things against us, Mm -hmm. but many times the absolute worst drawback from us achieving was boys. (laughs) 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 And choosing a science career is one way of letting those boys, I don't care what you think about me. (laughs) I can hear it. I I didn't care. (laughs) I'm I'm going to excel in science. I
0: love I hear the story now. (laughs) Anything you can do, I can do better. There you go. There you go.
1: That's true. That is, okay. In the 60s, there was this new thing called science fairs. (laughs) And I was definitely down with that. The American Nuclear Society had been so impressed with one of my science fair projects that it presented me an award aboard the USS Savannah, the country's first nuclear submarine at age 16. Wow! They gave me a Paul Revere silver bowl (laughs) engraved with my name.
0: Wow. Now, of course, I wanted to ask, like, what, was the, what was the project?
1: <laughs> well, it involved a Geiger counter. I believe the name of it was Some Statistical Aspects of Detector Characteristics. <laughs> <laughs> at 16? Yes, sir. <laughs> I was always involved in local science activities. One summer program was at Goddard Space Flight Center I helped calculate the magnetic field for spacecraft using my slide rule. Yes. The movie Hidden Figures really hit home for me. Hmm. And yes, like you saw in the movie Hidden Figures, we had to line up for special occasions. My parents, uh, my father did not finish high school, Mm -hmm. yet uh, he came to have a company that employed lawyers. Hmm. He was a cab driver and a uh, newspaper man delivering the Afro-American newspaper and jet magazines, which I sold door-to-door mm-hmm. jet magazines. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing I was saying, we were immersed in black history because mm-hmm. it was a black town and everything. My mother finished high school, Okay. and of course, in those, in those days, it was just a different pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just obeyed. It just wasn't any question about anything Mm. else. But of course, uh, as uh, civil rights began to move and all, we were being encouraged more and more to think about colleges and Mm. all. I applied to about five colleges and got accepted to all of them. Wow! I was so good uh, academically that the teachers approached me and asked my permission for me to apply to one of the Seven Sisters Colleges to test to see, are they ready to have black students? Wow. <laughs> you know? Now, I didn't want to go to an all-girls school <laughs> anyway, but, but please, just would you just apply and everything? Mm-hmm. We are trying to test case and everything. So I applied. Of course, they weren't ready. Mm. that didn't get accepted at that time.
0: Any other mentors that you had that would have been instrumental to getting you into college, furthering education, to be in a field that typically doesn't look like you?
1: That's interesting, the mentors. Our high school in Washington, D.C., of course, was all black. Mm. Uh, It existed at another location before the building that I went to. Mm The building where I went to it, formerly, was an all-white school,
0: Mm.
1: which got up and left and moved D.C., moved out of D.C., and moved out to (laughs) Merlin, Virginia. And so the black school moved in. Cardoza moved into the building. The old school was called Central High School. And the thing is, we still had, like I said, the raggedy books and whatnot, it still said Central High School <laughs> on it. Um, One of the programs at our high school was the Peace Corps program, where returning volunteers from the Peace Corps that's gone over to Africa to help those poor countries, <laughs> they put those teachers mm. in our school, to <laughs> help <laughs> our poor school. <laughs> well, one of the teachers was Quaker, And uh, his name is Mr. Wilson, and he's the one that told me about Earlham College Mm. being a Quaker school and how good it was. And it was interesting that, you know, I went past all these much larger, more famous, far more famous schools Mm -hmm. and chose that. And I've been forever grateful. Mm. I went to Earlham College, a Quaker school in Richmond, Indiana. You know the Quakers. Historically... They're well known for their involvement with the slaves and the Underground Railroad, mm. and with the Japanese internees in World War II, and with blacks, of course we were Negroes then, during the Civil Rights Movement. Being at a Quaker school, it's, it's very different. I, I, know, I know the general population doesn't know how they worship mm-hmm. and what they believe, but when I applied to colleges, Rollum said that the Quakers believe in the light of Christ in every individual. Mm. And that was for me. So that's what the turntable, I went there. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, the, the first time I went to their worship service is called Meeting. Okay. First time I went to a Quaker meeting. So I go in, and everybody's quiet, and I'm thinking, oh, they done all got quiet because I'm black and I walked in here. And and little did I know that that's the way the Quakers worship Mm. is in the silence of the meeting. Mm. And the only way someone says something is if you feel the spirit upon you Mm. to stand and to speak. And so four years of going to Quaker meeting, I learned that and that has affected a lot of the way, I think, Mm. uh, attitude towards the world. Yeah. the Quakers. <clears throat> Remember, they, they, they had to be some bold people, those Quakers, <laughs> to be the captains of the Underground Railroad, yeah. and to be, they, they got Japanese from, mm-hmm. from the West Coast, and they shuttled them towards the Midwest and the East, they, they, which was an Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. No way for that, too. They th- did a lot of things. Absolutely. It was a very supportive environment as I earned my AB in physics. Then I went to Harvard University, the Graduate School of Education. It's very interesting um, when I give speeches, uh, career speeches, uh, especially to to black students, and uh, pretty much everybody understands that um, it's black discrimination and whatnot, that race is a divider. Mm -hmm. But when I went to Harvard, that was interesting. Harvard University, 1636. I was asked what prep school had my father attended. Mm. And I was clueless as to what this had to do with anything. I've Mm. I've, I've, uh, met racial discrimination before, but I'd never, well this is something I was running into, Mm. class class. Now, if we were in Europe or England somewhere, they would understand class very much so. But it's interesting, we don't speak about it much here in the States, but it is an operator. Mm -hmm. It is going. I got my M.A.T., Master of Arts in Teaching Science. This prepared me for a variety of science teaching assignments. I taught in the Pennsylvania Advancement School in Philadelphia. I taught in a reform school for boys in Massachusetts. And I taught in an experimental high school in Cambridge, Massachusetts called the Pilot School. Teaching was satisfying. However, there was always that yearning to do physics. Mm. After teaching, I entered MIT which was just down the street, in a special graduate program designed to increase the number of black students in physics. Mm. One of my two classmates was Ronald McNair, who years later became a NASA astronaut and encouraged me to apply to the astronaut program as well. Mm. At that time, he said, Francine, they're really looking for minority females. So I applied, (laughs) I didn't make the cut, but I applied. (laughs) So
0: you are now, you've matriculated through Earlham, you've gone through now Harvard, which is amazing, especially at that time, MIT now, special program. I can imagine you probably ran into a number of different challenges.
1: What challenges did you face? There's an old saying, that going to MIT is like trying to take a drink of water from a fire hydrant. (laughs) We endured the rigors of study and mind-bending exams of quantum mechanics, special relativity, atomic and molecular. But oh, the joy of doing physics, studying God's physical world, and the added excitement of doing it with other blacks. We studied together, party together, commiserated together. We encouraged each other. I tell the students today, you can do it too.
0: That's so we, we have science. I mean, you, these great stories about science fairs okay. and the things that you do. Yeah. But then in many ways, I mean, there's, there's living legends. There's hidden figures in your story too, in mm-hmm. calculations yes. and things for... NASA missions, like anything you want to speak to that, like what is a sliding rule? Who even knows what that is? A
1: slide. (laughs) Oh my goodness! No, no, you're just making that up. I know you're making that up. I guess it's 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 interesting. I uh, I was so proud in college that uh, when I finally got a a K&E slide rule, that was that was the, the the premier type and the big heavy one. And the boys would go around, you know, uh, those big and heavy, and they would put them on their belts, you know. (laughs) So I was very excited when I got a round slide rule. I don't even know what that is. But that way I could put it in my purse, (laughs) you see, so I could have that.
0: And Uh and for those of you that may not know, a slide rule was for early calculations prior to, you know, calculators and electronics, right?
1: You're right, they probably don't know. They probably don't know. Um, one thing, a couple of things that, that's interesting that have happened to me is um, one of the fellows that was in my research group at MIT, mm-hmm. um, we worked together. It was three of us in the research group. And then years later, he won a Nobel Prize. Wow. And we, we joke, we still stay in contact. and. I tease him. I said, yeah, I told him everything, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but there are
0: these stories, right, from the Nobel Prize winner, right? You have mm. him, and then you now have astronaut that you learn with. Yes. Um, and that you yes. even apply for. Yes. Right, and how, how close you were to those steps. Like this is, just to be able to apply in and of itself is, is a huge
1: feat. Well, that's what I, I emphasize to the students. Uh, stop coming up with excuses and all. Just mm-hmm. go ahead. Try it. Apply yeah. and everything. Right. Um, there's, there's so many people who push you back, mm-hmm. who keep you back. Don't add to it. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: We have enough headwind. Yeah. We don't need to add anything else to slow us down.
1: Another uh, important scientist, and this fellow is black, hmm. um, with the IEEE, uh, two or three years ago, I can't remember, it was the uh, anniversary of the f- landing, first landing on the moon, mm. and they, um, uh, a group of engineers went up to Mount Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And so once the astronauts were on the moon, they would send signals to the Earth to that would help and you understand, it will send light and mm-hmm. laser to bounce back mm-hmm. so they can measure more precisely the distance between the earth and the moon. And, the moon. Mm-hmm. and the, one of the gentlemen, one of the main gentlemen was a brother, and I was able to go with the IEEE. We drove all the way up Mount <laughs> Hamilton, to the observatory. Right, because there's an observatory. Oh, that was so exciting and so thrilling. And then later that evening, he gave a speech. Yeah. Uh, to the IEEE, and um, I got to meet, I got to ride in a car with him, him and his <laughs> wife. So. I just.
0: What jobs do you hold after graduation?
1: After MIT, I migrated to the then burgeoning Silicon Valley in 1974, where I worked at Fairchild, Varian, and IBM
0: as an African-American and as a woman trailblazer in physics, surely you have a number of different projects that you are working on.
1: A solid background in the sciences had well prepared me to work on diverse technical products. At Fairchild Semiconductor in Palo Alto, I was a research engineer. I worked on photolithography of the first digital watch circuit. Mm. At Varian Associates in Palo Alto, I worked on microchannel plates, night vision devices. And at IBM in San Jose, I developed DASD technology, DASD, direct access storage devices, Mm -hmm. in six diverse disk drive components, including heads, disks, actuator, bubble memory, and laser printer. So now, what
0: what are some of the challenges you faced as you entered your profession?
1: Not being treated fairly or not receiving credit for your work. Sometimes this could be remedied by going through the company channel called Open Door. Sometimes. (laughs) Another solution was to network with others like yourself in professional societies. NACBee the Northern California Council of Black Professional Engineers,
0: Hmm.
1: SWE, the Society of Women Engineers. I'm a senior member there.
0: (laughs) So I imagine then difficulties there utilizing the, the processes, the networks. Now, does that lead you to any additional, let's say civil rights work or outside community activities? In
1: 1982, I testified before the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, which had come to Silicon Valley, investigating employment prospects for minorities and women in high-tech industries. The resulting report found such bias existing virtually everywhere at every skill level. You may be a scientist, but you can't ignore or shut out what's going on in the world. In 1987, I joined a delegation from San Jose and flew to the Civil Rights March in Forsyth County, Georgia. It was a good march, however, due to a series of missteps, a group of us got left out on the highway in Mm -hmm. the snow at night with the KKK circling around us on flatbed trucks, swinging chains and threatening to get us ins and in-lovers too. Huddled together in the dark, a rescue bus finally arrived. We were crammed in and rode the highway with the bus's interior lights turned off so we wouldn't be so easy to spot by the Klan. You can believe there was some praying going on on that bus. (laughs) My travel mates, Henry Gage and Chuck Alexander. As engineers and scientists, we enjoy our work and we share the excitement by involvement in community programs. I've been a career day speaker over a hundred times at schools, churches, and universities across the nation. I was a loaned executive from IBM to United Way I taught algebra at Evergreen Valley College. Church activities, I worked in. The prison ministry, I was the chief musician under Reverend Johnny Gibson. Mm. The concert of sacred music by my then husband involved citywide choirs and musicians from Stanford. Mm. The writing skills and math workshops where I wrote the math curriculum Operation Share, the Peacekeepers Administrator, and the Golden Harvesters. Mm -hmm. I was always active in professional societies like the IEEE and the Thin Film Society, which I've chaired or delivered technical papers. This is how we engineers stay current with technology. Mm -hmm. In 1990, I received the Regional Professional Leadership Award from IEEE, PACE, for my technical activities, especially my film, How to Talk to Kids About Technical Careers. Mm. Well,
0: it seems great. Now we kind of talked about this. Now we can make this big change, because now there's a shift, a pretty large shift that happens in your life, right? Yeah. Uh, that kind of is connected to your then husband. so.
1: Tell me, how did you meet the love of your life? Many times Reverend Gaines would preach, don't worry, single woman. The right man, God has a man for you. Mm -hmm. The the man is coming for you. And I felt like standing up and saying, where is he? (laughs) (laughs) And I tell people that when (laughs) when, when Louis and I got together and he first asked to get married, I said, oh, Uh, It's interesting how we have a resume ready Mm -hmm. for God as to what we want that mate to look like. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or or job description more Mm -hmm. like we have a job description. A checklist, if you will. Uh, Requisition of what (laughs) we want. Mm -hmm. And he was the race, the height, the occupation. (laughs) I mean, what could you name? He he wasn't what I was thinking and looking for, Mm -hmm. but because the way things happened, and I realized that um, when God offers you a gift and everything, for you to turn down that gift, that's sin. (laughs) Yeah. 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 We met on a jazz cruise called A Salute to Duke Ellington. Louis Belson was one of the Ellington alumni performing. We were introduced and had endless conversations where I was impressed that our worldviews aligned so well. Mm -hmm. A few months later, we were engaged. Louis conspired with his buddy Johnny Carson to introduce me and make the announcement to the world live on The Tonight Show. And Understand
0: congratulations on her order. I met the young lady this afternoon. No, you're oh, right. yeah. You're getting
1: married again. Yeah? Yeah. Her name is Francine right? Yeah. San Jose. Congratulations. Where's and she sitting? Is she here? She's yeah, she's on Francine. Hey, Francine. Where are you at? Yeah.
0: She's right there. there you are over there. Stand up. Well, Francine. Good for you. Yeah, I'm happy for
1: you. Thanks, man. Real happy for you. I told him, I said, well, um Louis, uh, we are Christian, we are strict believers, mm-hmm. and we don't believe in being unequally yoked.
0: Hmm. Don't hear that um, much often.
1: Um, he was a, a member of any particular church oh. or any particular, I mean, he was spiritual. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But we don't believe in being unequally yoked. Mm-hmm. And so he basically said, well, just tell me what to do. <laughs> And the thing is, it kind of surprises me. It shouldn't, because the ministers are always preaching to us uh, that, we want to get people so that they say, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> and here he's just basically just tell me what to do. So I told him, yeah, well, come on in and, and be baptized. So if
0: I hear what you're saying is we should utilize our beautiful women more often to help evangelize the world. So ladies out there, the Lord wants to use you to oh, evangelize. Oh, <laughs> just wait no, oh, just wait no. But, but I think that is a great story, right? Yeah. Like it is, it is amazing. Yeah. And I know of, even many of our deacons or ministers yes. or men that are connected, that came because the women and that the they wine. cared, yeah, yeah, they cared for, said, no, you got to get this thing right. And yeah. what a gift that is. And so yeah.
1: That Easter, after being baptized by Reverend Gaines, Louis dried off and played the drums at the same service.
0: Now, during your marriage, you almost take on like a brand new professional act shifting out of engineering into some new spaces. So would you like to talk to that?
1: It's interesting. Uh, when I said I was going to quit my job to follow a drummer all around the world, <laughs> one of my girlfriends, professional girlfriends, she said, you're not going to quit your job. <laughs> she just couldn't imagine that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Louie and I traveled the world He performing and recording, and I selling CDs and creating memorabilia for the gigs. I eventually became his manager, publicist, and photographer. I developed the document Gig Guidelines, which Louis hailed as a godsend. (laughs) He'd look at my physics books and say, ugh. I'd look at his charts and scores and say, yuck. (laughs) but we recognized the genius in each other. You could say, we belong to a mutual admiration society. (laughs) Eventually, we developed a joint talk entitled The Physicist and the Percussionist, Hmm. which we performed at school events nationwide an inspirational career presentation, exploring the relationship between music and science. It was always enthusiastically received by both students and parents alike. I produced Belson's last two CDs, The Sacred Music of Louis Belson, which was performed here as a fundraiser at Emmanuel, and Louis and Clark Expedition 2 on our percussion power label. And aside, everything's available at louisbelson.com. <laughs> Shameless plug. No, i just <laughs> Currently, I maintain the Louis Belson legacy website, mm-hmm. louisbelson.com. I organize the annual Belson Music Fest in Rock Falls, Illinois, each June. Right now, In fact, this week, I'm in negotiations with the Library of Congress regarding Mm. a deposition of thousands of items of Belson materials. Wow.
0: So, uh, and, and you've mentioned and you've touched on this a little bit, but to be able to speak to it directly, how did faith play a role in much of your successes or many of your successes?
1: In my career, sometimes things didn't go so well and oftentimes it was very painful. Almost to the breaking point, I found that only the Holy Spirit could express my plea with its groanings. I calm my mind with whatsoever things are of good report. Think on these things. Hmm. Another example is sometimes the solution to an equation that I was wrestling with was revealed to me in a vision or dream. Only the Lord can do that. (laughs) In all, having a church community to surround you really helps. It's always been my determination and fascination to discover God's world, atoms, molecules, and Human history. For I am persuaded Hmm. that the Lord wants us to study and learn more about His creations.
0: Mm -hmm. To me, you know, when we talked about like this connection between science and music, Mm -hmm. but there really is this like really deep connection between the way that music is heard. You were just preaching it. I know. (laughs) Like, it's it's effects on the human body. Mm -hmm. And then for as you as you said, the physicist and the percussionist right. to kind of come together. So there's some beautiful stories even in that.
1: Right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. There <laughs> are.
0: Make you just blush. No, you're, you're ha- still you're blushing when you're having such it. a good time. I'm, I'm having a great.
1: Time. I think about uh, Louis loved this church so much, yes. so much. It's interesting when he uh, first. Uh, we first were engaged, and uh, he started coming around. And uh, of course, he lived down in Southern California. I still lived up here. Okay. Uh, so I would come to church, and the members would run up. Uh, where's Louis? Where's Louie? Where's Louie? <laughs> I should say. Well, I'm here. Right? <laughs> no. oh, we don't care about you. We, we want to see you. we want the man that plays the music. So, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. This church provided, the choirs provided the kind of music, that tone that he wanted to hear in mm, the sacred music of yes. Louis Belson. Uh, a little background on that I know this isn't about Louis, it. but uh, the first sacred music was done by. Uh, Duke Ellington Hmm. at Grace Cathedral Hmm. in San Francisco back in about 1965, I think. Hmm. And Louis was the young drummer uh, with Duke Ellington. Mm -hmm. And Duke Ellington told Louis, now you must write a sacred music of your own. So it took Louis about 50 years, but he finally wrote. The sacred music of Louis Belson. Wow. And uh, it was performed right here on this stage. Wow. Back then. Listen, when Duke
0: Ellington tells you to do something, that is something you need to do. do.
1: That's
0: true. That's true. And so, did you find it challenging? I mean, moving, I I understand physics, you know, not as much as you do. But then to make this shift, to being like a manager, like the whole world oh. of music. Like oh. I would imagine this is this is something totally different.
1: Uh, uh, musicians and jazz musicians in particular are the most abused hmm. as far as business and whatnot. Now of course I was coming out of IBM, mm-hmm. very business-like <laughs> and very organized. <laughs> I couldn't believe some hmm. of the things that the musicians had to put up with. Yeah. And that's why I wrote that document called the Gig Guidelines. I say, uh, ye shall have this ready when we get there, and ye ye shall do this. And I told them while we may be in our golden years, we cannot fast, uh, we cannot feast at the Golden Arches. Yeah. You know, you have, to, you have to provide proper food for us. So they like that. <laughs> right. They like that.
0: So listen, McDonald's, we appreciate you, but that's it, not what yeah. we, that's not the only feast we want to be able to have.
1: Yeah, you have to let the, the buyer, vendor know, uh, the manager, whoever it is, where the stage you're going to be. Absolutely. You have to let them know what, what you need. So. And,
0: and, and for me, you know, these are, these are the things that I hear. This. Mm-hmm you would think that from a group of people that are constantly pushed to the edges, right? Constantly told what we aren't or what we could be or should be mm-hmm. for then you to set up the guidelines mm-hmm. for your husband not to be taken advantage of. Oh, like, right. there's this beauty in the way, like, as you said, this God's right. playwright. I was
1: coming from a business scientific.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. But then also this mm-hmm. civil rights and standing up for what is right for you. And I've always felt like, you know, we talk about civil rights or African American advancement, it's always been like, oh, it's for them, but it's never just been for them. Mm -hmm. Because we always stand up for anybody who's been opposed. Well, we can. I know there's times that we don't,
1: but. No, you're right.
0: Yeah, that's a beautiful story for that.
1: As we close out, what would you like people to remember most about you and your story? She shared her excitement and delight in God's creation, the universe. And she loved her some Louis.
0: <laughs>
1: Thank you, Pastor.
0: Thank you. Absolutely amazing. It is such a gift just to be surrounded, to hear the stories of so many people um, who've experienced so much, seen so much, in many ways who've been the purveyors and the ground layers for much that we walk on. Thank you for your amazing life. And thank you for being a living legend. Thank you, Pastor. God bless you. Until next time, pray that you enjoyed this episode of Living Legends. God bless you.